So I have a question for you that's not hypothetical, you can actually answer. When you think of conflict, what words come to mind? <laughs> Laughter. <laughs> what else? Draining. Draining. Anger. Did somebody scare? Scary? Resolution. I like that. In the first service, someone said, bring it on. <laughs> I never heard that one before. Anyone else? Awareness. Avoidance. Uncomfortable. Normal. I like that one. When I think of conflict, many of those words come to my mind as well. Some of you know this about me. Before I was a pastor, before I discovered my love for pastoring, I was a mediator. So I worked with an organization called the Center for Peacemaking, and we had a partnership with the juvenile justice system. And so I would mediate cases between juvenile offenders and their victims. I would meet with both parties separately, the responsible youth and the victim, and then I would prepare them to have a conversation together. We would talk about what happened, the harm that was done, the facts and the feelings. And then I would help them come up with a way that the responsible youth could make things as right as possible, a way that would be meaningful and satisfying for the victim. And then we would talk about the future, what boundaries were needed to make the victim feel safe. What did showing respect look like, especially if they went to the same school? And if the responsible youth completed the process and followed through with the agreement, their case was dismissed. This was really meaningful work to be a part of. And it was per personally transformative. It changed the way that I thought about the good news of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and what that meant. And it also changed my perspe perspective of conflict. Now, when I think about conflict, words like opportunity come to mind. Was anyone thinking about opportunity when I asked that question? Another word comes to mind, inevitable. Maybe that relates to the person who said normal. Like, conflict is going to happen. It's bound to happen. Relationships are difficult and messy. For the last few weeks, we've been going through a series on the family of God, what does it mean to be Christian community, the fellowship created because of the death and resurrection of Jesus? So it's important that we would talk about conflict and reconciliation because that's bound to happen in community. And it's interesting because if you were to look at the teachings that Jesus gave about relationships, when you look at all of his teaching, he often used stories and metaphors and analogies and sometimes the things that he would say were a bit evasive and left people wondering, what is this, what is he saying? What does this really mean? But when it came to relationships and conflict, he was often very specific and direct with the instruction that he gave. So we're going to dive into one of those teachings this morning, but before we do, let me say a prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to guide us. God, we recognize that Conflict is challenging. It's inevitable, but sometimes it can be really painful. There can be a lot at stake. And we recognize our own limitations within that, that we need you to come and lead us in the ways of your peace. 
and reconciliation. We invite your Holy Spirit to lead us this morning, we pray. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. The book of Matthew tells the story of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. And chapter 5 is the beginning of a teaching that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gets up, his closest followers are listening close by, and there's also crowds of people. And he begins this teaching with some very startling statements about who is blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, people who mourn, who are persecuted, not normally who you would think of when you think of blessing. And then he has some really challenging, unsettling teachings, things to say. So we're going to dive into one of those. This is starting with verse 21. He says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Whew, okay, we'll keep going. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. All right, well, a pretty intense word from Jesus this morning. Um, it's important to know that Jesus is doing something that would have been familiar to Jewish people, this practice of hedging the law. So basically what they would do is they would take the law, like don't commit murder, and they would add other rules and boundaries around it to make sure that you don't break the actual law. So this would be like if you decided you didn't want to use technology after 7 p.m., so you're going to turn your phone off, you're going to put your laptop in the other room, and you're not going to go into a room with a television on, because then what if you're drawn to watch TV? You add all these other rules to help you not break the rule. And part of the point that Jesus is making with this, as he goes beyond what the law requires, is you can go through life without murdering anyone. You can follow that law, but if you harbor anger for a really long time, what does that do for your relationship? You can follow this law by not killing anyone, but you can still treat people really poorly. And so he's inviting them into right relationship. And so Jesus says, if you're on your way to the temple, if you're on your way to make yourself right with God, to draw near to God, and you remember that someone has something against you, that you've done something to hurt them, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and make your sacrifice. Pretty direct. Go to the person who you've hurt. And this is consistent with something that Jesus says later in Matthew 18. He says if someone sins against you, if they do something wrong that impacts you, first go to them directly. Now before I get any Further, I want to acknowledge that with conflict, there's a lot of nuance and circumstances, and I don't think Jesus intended for these teachings to be applied in every situation. There would be many situations where it wouldn't be safe or appropriate for you to go to the other person. So I trust your discernment and judgment in that. 
And also, I feel like it can be pretty certain that we've all experienced a conflict where it would be appropriate for us to go directly to the other person. Then how come it's so hard to do that? I mean, if this passage was to reflect what we really do, I think it would sound more like, if someone hurts you or says that you hurt them, first go talk to three or four other people about your experience and how you feel and really get them on your side. Maybe find other people who also have a problem with this person. And once you feel really confident in your experience, then just ruminate on it for a while. Like, just let it, let it fester and start to build up a list of all the things that the other person's done wrong. Because it's not just that they didn't invite you to the party, it's they posted it on social media so that you would see you were invited. It's not just the thing that they said to you in small group, it's the look that they gave you and the tone that they used when they said it. It's not just that your coworker always interrupts you, it's they're always late. And that's so disrespectful. And if the pressure and the anger of all of that becomes too much, just casually release some of that in passive-aggressive comments to the other person. Give them the cold shoulder for a little while. Has anyone ever experienced conflict like that? Can you imagine what it would look like if we took this teaching very seriously, literally? I mean, what if I was to say next Sunday, we're going to gather here, but it's going to look a little bit different. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to say, who here has anger towards anyone in the church or unresolved conflict, resentment? Because we're going to talk about that right now. We have people, pastors on the side who are going to facilitate that conversation for you. Some of you are thinking, I will not be here next Sunday. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not doing it. But part of the reason that I use that example is because I was reading recently about this ancient document that describes practices Christian communities used in Syria in the third and fourth centuries. And they basically did that every week. The deacon would get up and say, who has anger towards a neighbor? And then the bishop would urge them to have a conversation to talk about it right then and there. And if it was deep-seated, they would schedule time throughout the week to try to reconcile and create peace between each other. Sounds a little intense. Why do you think the early church was so intentional and proactive about the relationships between one another? Well, part of the reason is in Western individual culture, we often think that our actions happen in a vacuum. Like they only affect us, right? And our actions and our consequence, we think about them as two different things. You do something and then a teacher or a boss, a system, a parent punishes or rewards you. But in ancient Hebraic culture, an action and its consequence were one process. Like you reap what you sow. So they had an understanding that our actions can set something into motion that could then turn around with consequences for the community. That if there was injustice among members within the church, anger, unresolved conflict, that it had ripples. And they felt like if that was the case, their worship was null or void. 
So they took their relationships very seriously. I wonder how much we prioritize peacemaking in our relationships, resolving conflict. I mentioned the work, some of the work that I got to do at the Center for Peacemaking, and it was really incredible to bear witness to some remarkable transformation. It was the teenager who vandalized his school, who then became the leader of a new campus club, the Campus Beautification Team. It was the teenager that stole from the 7-Eleven and then volunteered to work hours for free to make things right, who developed a relationship with the manager, and then the manager went to see them in their school play. It was the teenager who assaulted one of his peers in class, tackled him to the ground, took a pencil, and stabbed him multiple times in the arm. And when the victim's parents got to ask, why did you do this? Why would you do this to our son? And the teenager responded so vulnerably with transparency about what he was navigating at home, that he knew he needed help. The parents said, we really want to help you. We don't know what would be helpful, but the husband was an orthodontist, and they said, if you ever need or want braces, we'll do it for free. Every time I walked into that space for the conversation, I was really nervous because sometimes there was a lot at stake and I never knew how it was going to go because I really didn't have much control over the conversation. I could help facilitate it, but it was really up to them to decide how they wanted to show up and how they wanted to move forward. But I always came in with the expectation that God would meet me there. I experienced God's love and transformation with a kind of depth and clarity that I had never experienced before. And I feel like part of what Jesus is saying in this passage is, you're going to the temple to draw near to me to experience my closeness, but have you ever thought that maybe I'm in the conflict? I am with you in your pursuit of reconciliation. Because I think if I was to survey the room and ask you, where do you experience God? Where do you feel close to God? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe a sense of transcendence. I think many of you would say nature or the ocean, all really great answers, but who would say conflict? God is in the conflict. God is with me as I pursue peace. Even if the other person doesn't come to the table, Jesus is with me in the long, costly journey of forgiveness. I mentioned in my last teaching in this series that we're experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. We know this. And there's a lot of factors as to why that is. But I believe one of the factors is our relationships lack the kind of intimacy that we really want and desire because we don't want to work through the conflict. It's easier just to ghost someone. Can we admit, I feel like I can admit, that sometimes it feels good to hang on to the anger longer than I need to because it feels safe. It feels like it protects me feels like agency or control. Maybe we can admit that blaming other people protects us from having to face our own insecurities. 
that it can be hard to acknowledge when we've done something wrong because does that mean there's something wrong with us? And truthfully, going to another person when you've hurt them or they've hurt you in a way that is constructive is really hard because it's very vulnerable. When you ask someone else for forgiveness, you're throwing yourself upon their mercy because what if they say no? They can say no. Forgiving someone else is really vulnerable to acknowledge the harm that's been done to you, to try to move forward. It often feels like weakness, even though it takes a tremendous amount of strength. Jesus makes a really serious warning in this passage about judgment and hell. And I don't believe that he intended that to sound like, go and make yourself right with your brother or sister, or I'm going to come and punish you. It doesn't sound like God's voice to me. I believe Jesus said this teaching because he intends life and freedom for us that maybe he's warning us against a kind of isolation, saying that anger and that resentment, it might feel good now. It might serve a purpose now, but if you hold on to it, it will have ripple effects that you might not even be aware of. And I want right relationship for you. This really isn't a matter of what you have to do or what you should do. It's a matter of what you can do. It's a matter of what is available to you because of what God accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That because we are reconciled to God, that reconciliation is possible. It might be difficult, and it might be costly. And it might also be an opportunity. An opportunity to experience God, to learn something about ourselves, to deepen relationship and trust, to take the relationship beyond what it was before, and to be a tangible expression of God's reconciling power. The early church, they believed that the kind of relationships that they had in community with one another, given the diversity within their community, was a miracle. They felt like it was an expression of God's power. Most weeks when you leave here, Brad or Michelle leaves you with a blessing and says, you are instruments of God's peace. That is a very difficult and high calling to be instruments of God's peace. What would it be like for us to not only be instruments of peace out in the world, but as a community to be known for our forgiveness and reconciliation? For people to look and say, there's something different about the way that they relate to each other. There's something miraculous happening here. To be a tangible witness to God's reconciling power. It's a difficult and high calling. And I think what the world needs right now. Often on Sunday morning, we give you time to turn and talk to one another. But today, I'm going to invite you to self-reflect so you don't have to share. I know talking about conflict can be vulnerable. And when you walked in, you were given a handout with some prompts and questions. 
that will help you reflect on a conflict, conflict that you might be experiencing right now. And if you aren't experiencing a conflict right now, maybe you want to reflect on a previous conflict. But before we go into that reflection, let me say a prayer for us and invite the Holy Spirit prompting and discernment. God, often in our relationships and conflict, we bump up against our own limitations. A longing for a relationship to be different, a longing to be able to forgive, but not being quite sure how. And we recognize that these conversations and dynamics are really difficult, and so we ask God for your guidance. We ask for your direction. We ask for your reconciling power to be made real in us as individuals and as communities. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So take about 10 minutes to reflect on your own, and then we'll come back together and worship.